Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. This month's sermon series is called Reach. And last week we talked about pulling back the curtain and got a chance and a good look really at the reality of what we're dealing with here. In order to become soul winners, we have to develop a heart for people first. The idea of having a passion for souls may seem a long way off for most of us, so really it's best to take this one step at a time, and that's what we're doing this month, so that we grow an interest, and then a concern, and then a focus, and then a passion that we hope will develop. Sharing just a little bit of my own story, when I first came to Christ, I was more interested really in my own spiritual growth to begin, my own spiritual development. I had been rescued out of some really deep, dark things, and I was just so overjoyed that I was now set free from the control of of drugs, of alcohol, of some of the dark things that were happening in my family and was really just kind of a a part of the legacy of what we were experiencing at the time, divorce and separation and uh, relationships being strained. And so... The idea of really sharing the gospel was not really on my radar. I was thinking, man, I'm thinking about me. But as I began to read scripture, I grew in my excitement about heaven and being on the right side of things. In other words, the more I learned not only about how I can change and, and, and really getting excited about the future, realizing what they call that eschatological expectation. In other words, the, the knowing that this is all going to be wrapped up, knowing that this life is just but a, a little blip in my, my life as a blip in the great scheme of eternity, I got more and more excited and passionate and concerned about my own family and my friends, the people around me. And because I was still really, I hadn't completely exited out of that old world, I, a lot of my friends were still, you know, guys, especially guys who didn't know Jesus. And so here I was in the middle of their lives and I was transforming and of course, they were confused, and, uh, and, and I, just, I just couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand the thought that I was going to heaven, and they might not. So I was overwhelmed. And so I make that excuse today for all the weird things that I did, but that's what it came from. It was just, you know, just coming right out and asking them or standing right up and just preaching the gospel in the middle of the, of the locker room or or a good buddy just you know, taking some time to just share the gospel with them. I just, it just, it, it, that, in that window of my life, it was incredibly important. And so as I had gone through sharing the gospel with all my family and all of my friends, I was kind of like, okay, well, I'm done. And so, but then in time, I began to realize also that there was this parallel thing that was going on. I was beginning to become more and more aware of the depth of my own depravity and how much I really needed to be changed. I was excited about the fact that I was excited for souls, but the more I grew closer to Christ, the more I needed, I realized, man, I had some stuff in me, some broken things. And so as a result of that, I began to withdraw and go to the quiet place, which was a good thing. I needed to go to the quiet place. I needed to go for long walks. I needed to withdraw. In many ways, I couldn't be around those guys who didn't convert anymore. Couldn't hang around them when they were going to go smoke pot. I couldn't hang around at their parties. I couldn't get involved in some of the things they were getting involved in. I was called away from that to be separate and begin the journey of becoming someone who was set apart for his purposes, which I believe, again, and this was before I even knew I had a call to ministry on my life. This is what I felt like every Christian should do. And as we, as we know, scripturally, that is what we're all supposed to do. So in time, I really got caught up more with my own complications, life complications and interests, and to begin less concerned about the lost, mainly because I'd run out of lost people to really talk to. But when I arrived at Bible college and it determined that, okay, I was going to do this for the rest of my life as a vocation, I was, you know, of course, interested in learning more about the Bible, and it was, it was exciting. And I, but it wasn't until I took a course on evangelism that my life really changed. And we read a little paperback book that we went through together and some other things, but basically just, just really focusing for a period of time on what was at stake. What, was, you know, what did Jesus really call us to do? In his little paperback book, it was called The Master Plan of Evangelism. 
I still have that very same copy in my bookshelf to this day. And it's very, very, it was very, very powerful because as the more I got exposed to it and the teacher, who just of course happened to be Michael Fletcher, there was a real transference of passion and understanding. And all of a sudden my heart got refired, got reignited. It was something that I just saw happen over time. And, and all of a sudden, you know, so now I'm working in this restaurant and I'm thinking initially, all I want to do is get in and get out. Get my money and get back to doing the Christian thing. So, but then all of a sudden as I took this course, I was like, wow, man, I, I shouldn't be doing that. I should, I'm really called to be light. I'm called to be salt. I'm supposed to go there and be you know, a representative of Christ. And so there was a real big change for me. I remember I was intimidated by it. I remember being overwhelmed. And so all I did was I just, I mean, I distinctly remember driving on my way. It wasn't a long, play, long drive and just saying, Lord, I just pray you'd help me be salt and light today. Help me, Lord, to just open my eyes to see the people who need you today. Give me a divine appointment in the time that I'm there to potentially share the gospel. And so I just kind of opened my heart to it. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm in there in the bus station and waiting for a table to get dirty and you're just kind of hanging out. And all of a sudden, a, 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 sec, a, a, a waitress comes back to and she starts crying in the corner. And I remember probably, I mean, I would think to myself, if, if, if I would just been a Christian who was really focused on my life, I'd be going, man, that's too bad. I hope that next table comes. But I couldn't because I had prayed, just prayed, Lord, open my heart. And I just thought, the Lord, the Lord just said, David, you prayed. Okay, so I go over there and just say, hi, you know, Linda, what, what's going on? How can I pray for you? And she began to open up. Her husband just left her or something like that would begin to open up. And I began to just share and pray for her. And I would invite her to church. And in the time that I was there, in just two years, by focusing that way, two managers got saved. And two drug dealers, two top drug dealers in Fayetteville that, man, I just was stupid enough to actually share the gospel with. I mean, gun-carrying, cocaine, heroin, marijuana salesmen that just happened to be very young, by the way. And it was just like, I opened my heart to it, God brought them to me. But i got to let you understand something. I don't see myself as an evangelist in any way, shape, or form. I'm just not. I am, I'm, I'm generally, I'm, I'm an introvert. I am kind of the person that is more shy. I'm a little intimidated by that kind of stuff. I remember when the first time I started taking the class, I began thinking to myself, I can't see myself doing this. This is just too hard. I mean, nobody wants, I mean, I am definitely not a salesman. I mean, that would be the worst. I mean, you want me to die? Make me go sell encyclopedias door to door. I mean, I just would die. I, you know, I just couldn't do it. And so sometimes evangelism felt like that to me. It's just, you know, hi, how are you doing? You wouldn't want Jesus, would you, at all? I mean, no, really? I mean, you know what I'm saying? So I don't see myself like that at all. But it was interesting that God began to, there was a transference of passion. And, it, and as I began, to, I grew more in confidence because I was watching others do it. Some of my best friends are evangelists. Chris Halloran's an evangelist. It just blows me away. We'll be, I'm like, look, dude, just order the burger, okay? Do you have to sit there and share the gospel with him? We're going someplace. But, you know, it's good. It's good for me to see that. It's good for us to see that. So I was trained. I was discipled. I was mentored to have a, a people's eternal condition always in mind. And I'm glad for that. And the truth is, I still personally have to get that back. I have to read a good biography. I have to, 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 to maybe watch a, a movie, God's Not Dead, or I have to you know, go through the scripture again, and I have to get re-fired, you know, because sometimes we get caught up and we see people as our enemy, especially in our, pri in our personal lives, whether it be a baseball game or, or, or you're involved in dance or you're doing something, how easy it is to just forget that, man, you're called to be salt and light first. So that's what this is really, what we're all about this month is to try to re-fire something in us. And so how do we open our hearts? How do we? I, I mentioned some of it. And I've got a couple of special things for you. But step one is we've got to understand what is at stake. In Luke, I'm going to read here. This is continuing on from what we read last week. When the Son of Man comes in his glory. Now, Jesus is beginning to share a little more specifically about eternity and what is going to happen after every man and woman, you know, when we die. We talked about that last week. But watch how fur much further he goes here. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. Who's the Son of Man? Well, Jesus. Daniel tells us that. 
and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne. So there's no question that this is the Messiah that Daniel was making reference to who would come in the clouds and end all things. So Jesus is making that connection. So theologically, we know where we are. He says, all the nations will be gathered before him. So this is the end of times. And he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. There'll be no in between, no third category. He will put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. I find it interesting that God would give the reward first so that the sheep do not have to experience what is getting ready to come next. That's merciful. That he'd say, you who have given your life to me, those of you who followed me, those whose eyes have been illumined and have given your life to me, here's your inheritance that I prepared for you at the beginning of time. Almost exactly when the fall happened in the garden, God had another plan, another garden, if you will. Another inherit, another blessing for his people. Been waiting for them. So he says, now go, go and enjoy that. But before he releases them, he's got a little something he wants to tell them. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or, or needing clothes or clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Now, this has got a lot, of, a lot of truths here. But one thing I do want to point out is that Jesus sees all of the human beings of the earth as his own personal responsibility. He loves every single one. And what we do for them is as unto him. That confirms the reality that we are called to be his hands and feet. That he has gone on to sit at the right hand of the Father, but he has sent us out to continue his ministry, to love people, to minister to people. Now, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going here because now we're going to see this, the flip side. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed. Into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So let there be no misunderstanding as to what this place is going to be and who is going to be there. This is very consistent, congruent with all that Jesus has already taught on the subject of hell and heaven. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Now, some might suggest that this is allegorical. In other words, that this symbolic, that they were thirsty for truth. We didn't give it to them. I would say that's legitimate, that there might be a layer of that. But we can't ignore the fact that the practicality of love that's being shown was also very, very important. In other words, if you really love people, you're going, to love, you're going to love them practically, aren't you? You're not going to say, be warm, be fed, be gone. You're going to, as a matter of fact, some of us don't even say that. But he's saying, look, the truth is, and he goes on and says, they're going to say, well, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or needing clothes or in prison? When did we see you? He says, Truly I tell you, whatever you do not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So there's going to be a clear separation of two groups. That we know. Utter separation for those who did not choose the cross. But an inheritance that has been prepared for us from, since the creation of the world for those who did. I just see that as an amazing thing. That God, again had the fix already in. God ultimately demands action that is connected to this, this wonderful gift. See, Jesus spoke of this all the time. He said, look, you can't fall into this category as a Christian that you just have fire insurance. And, and I find it very interesting that he foresaw how the church would begin to respond 
to ages of grace. That how the church would then fall into this deception that it could just, ex- 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 just say, well, yeah, I believe in Jesus, amen. But go on and live like hell. Go out and treat people despicably. Or never share the goodness of the truths that are inside us. Jesus foresaw that, and in many cases what he did was use hyperbole. In other words, use some measure of exaggeration to get our attention. But we can't ignore the fact that faith and deeds do go hand in hand. He's wanting us to get that. Now, I want to be very careful to, for you to understand that this, the key in, in understanding this section of Scripture is that it's not to earn salvation. No, 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 no. These deeds were not to, not to, to earn the salvation. It's not what caused salvation to happen. No, they only verified it. Jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruit. How do you know that a conversion experience has taken place? How do you know that a person's heart has changed from being wickedly evil, deceptive, to open, loving, concerned, and having a kingdom worldview? How do you know that? By the fruit, of course. By, the, by, by being able to be a person that has compassion for the lost. That you can't stand with Jesus inside you understanding. Now, now before you freak out and just start saying, well, then who can be saved like the disciples did? I mean, because they were just like, well, then who can be saved? I mean, no, 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 no. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. That's why we have to be trained. That's why we have to get the Word of God in us to begin stirring up what is in, already in us, what has already been placed there. Now, if you, pour, if you pour the passion of God on a person who's dead, still dead in their sins, it does nothing. And so, I, I, you know, that's between you and God. That's, that's every one of our journey is to determine what does the gospel do. When I'm preaching, when I'm speaking truth, when I'm talking about eternity, if your heart just says, when's lunch? Well, then I don't know what to do for you. I mean, other than come on down here at the end and let's get that fixed. But the truth is, if the word goes out and it causes a stirring inside you, if it, if it comes to the point of conviction, that's a good thing. That's a very good thing. Because conviction creates a desire, a desperation, which then calls upon God to say, Lord, help me. And God says, I'm here to do that, just that very thing. And begin to you know, take personal. So again, these, these things that Jesus is talking about, again, that, that, it's, it's a, a verification of a changed heart. And it's confirmed there in James chapter 2, 14 through 17. So, so what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, does not nothing, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action is dead. Martin Luther wanted to pull the whole book of James out of the Bible because he saw it as so diametrically opposed to Ephesians chapter 2, 8, and 9, the whole idea of grace. It confused him. But we know now, no, 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 that, that worked beautifully into what Jesus taught. Especially after generation after generation of the church falling into this malaise, this idea that what we call churchianity has become something that is a little scary. And, it's, and it's, it's separated from what we really are called to be and to do. So the truth is, there is a whole lot more that we need to understand and embrace in order to become what God has called us to do. We should be concerned about the sheep and the goats. Jesus indicates that sheep will be active in reaching for the goats as well. That's what he taught him to do. He sent him out two by two. Jesus did not come to make a kumbaya club. He did not say, look, for the rest of your life, you will be called out from among them and you will hold out to the very end when we're all called up yonder as the song goes. No, he says, you're going to be trained. It'll only take about three years for you guys to get what you need and then I'm sending you out. Jesus' final words, before he's ascended to heaven, he calls the disciples together. And more than just the 12, by the way, in case you're wondering that this is only just for professional preachers. He called the church together, and he said, go and make disciples. 
Go. Don't just hang around. Go and do what I've called you to do, what I've trained you to do. Let the passion, let the understanding, let the, the expectation of my second coming be the motivation that drives everything that goes on in your life. That's called the worldview, by the way. When you live with that eschatology, that end times understanding in mind, it does affect everything you do. In a major way, it makes me not put any real stock in anything I have here. So how I handle my money, how I handle my life, the relationships I build, the time that I'm sowing into, the treasures that I build, the treasures of my heart are all affected by that worldview. So that's why faith and deeds have to go together, by the way. You can't say that you believe one thing and your life doesn't match it. So, it, so James is really cutting in there in a good way. The connection of, that, that Christ makes to the broken and to himself, of course, shows where our hearts should be going when it comes to outreach. We should see people, even if people are smiling, they can be depressed. Even if a person is wealthy, they can be very poor. Even if a person has, in our mind, all of the glory and all of the, all of the wonderful things that this life promises, they can be despicably lonely, hungry, thirsty, and dying. And, you know, if you, if you take just a little bit of time and read and follow up on some of the people that have experienced the glory of this world, they're just chewed up and spit out because that's what the enemy does. A moth to the flame only to be burned. Step two. So step one, folks, we have to understand what's at stake here. Eternal life. People's eternal being. We need to start opening our hearts up to the reality of what exists. Step two, we ask God to open our eyes. Having a heart for the lost is something that will flow out of one's worldview. And I just shared that. I'll go a little deeper on it. You must first see people without Christ as lost and searching. See, don't make the mistake of seeing people through natural eyes. You can't do that. Because we all know that we're, we, you just become professional hiders as adults. Children, you can know what's going on inside their little hearts. Just If they're sad, we're not going to go to the movies this afternoon. I mean, it's just... But adults, man, we, we're just big, and we can cover that over. We can hide our, our hurt. We can hide our dissatisfaction. We can hide our, our brokenness. Matter of fact, you know, what we often do is not just hide it. We attack. We say, look, I'm going to make you unhappy before you can make me unhappy. I'm going to point out your darkness before you ever get to mine. That's just a defensive mechanism, by the way. Hurt people generally try to hurt. And if you see somebody doing that, it's just like, ring the bell, man. Ding, 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 ding. You need Jesus, don't you? And it takes quite a determined person to push past that. You heard my story about Daryl last week. That was Daryl all the way, wasn't it? I mean, he attacked those people. He used foul language. He just cut them down, made them feel. He, he didn't want them being concerned about him at all, so he abused them before they got anywhere close. But Matthew 6.33 is a verse that I have shared here from the moment I arrived in 2004. It's my life message. I believe it, is, it can be very much determined that I think it is the message that Jesus wanted every single Christian to get. I believe it is the foundation for every Christian and for the church as a whole. And he said this, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. This is powerful. This is a worldview changer. If you make this your life verse, then let me tell you how that's going to work. Just very briefly, Jesus said, look, if you make my priorities, what I said about your life, and if you'll do what I've called you to do by making people of focus, reaching and loving and going and making disciples, I'm going to take care of everything you need. I mean, we get so anxious about our money. We get so anxious about what's going to happen in our relationships, choosing a mate. We get anxious. We get all wrapped up in all this stuff. But if we'll just say, Lord, I'm going to make seeking you my first goal, then you're going to take care of that. I, you know, not only have I am so thoroughly convinced of this that I, I have to be very careful that I don't crush people with it. 
I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Because of who I am and the way I am, I just want to grab people sometimes. See, first. Why are you getting all caught up in this? Why are you anxious? Why are you angry? Why are you frustrated? Of course, I know we're broken. I know we are easily distracted. I know we're human. We're frail. And that especially becomes you know, more unique in the experiences we've had and even as we age. I know that to be true. And I need to slap myself frequently. But folks, the, the, the fix is in. If you want all these things, then seek first the kingdom. So that's a worldview, and it will affect how you live your life, how you spend your time, your resources. So here's a question. Are people searching? So if we're going to open our eyes, a lot of times all we see is just people, and most of them just in our way. Or we just, you know, whatever it's a kind of hate that's being built in this world, or whether you just see color, or whether you just see class, or whatever you see, if that's what you're seeing, then that worldview has not affected you yet, but it, you can be changed. It can be transformed. So here, let me just keep pointing you in the right direction. Are people searching? Absolutely. If we understand that, that helps us, right? There are type B unbelievers, and these are people that are aggressively not interested in hearing about Christianity. Matter of fact, they're enemies of the cross. Paul ran into a few of those. And boy, we heard a lot about these people in the news of late, in our education systems, in civil government, people marching on Washington. They don't want to hear anything about Jesus or telling them anything about that's in the Bible. And so we immediately just says, well, I'm not going to that person. They're aggressively, I mean, they might hurt me if I start talking about Christ, and that's true. We would categorize that person as a type B unbeliever, but can't write them off just yet because God even saves them. A lot of times it takes a little more supernatural work to make that one happen. Prayer and fasting, I suppose, or just a very, very determined individual. But I think of the movie God's Not Dead, which was kind of the point of that movie, to take a man who was an atheist and was trying to embarrass Christians, which happens every day, and then him have an experience under, under the waterline in his life, which is where usually people are most reachable. But I think of favorite, famous converts like this guy named Saul in the Bible, who was a type B unbeliever all the way, right? He was a murderer of Christians. And God was able to break through so that those who shared the gospel were just timid, just not evangelists at all. I mean, they came walking in kind of like this, you know, like you would into a tiger's cage. And here is Paul, all, I mean, Saul at the time, all crumpled up in the corner, blind and distraught. And, and an Ananias comes into the room. Um, I know who you are. You're a killer of Christians. And the very fact that I've walked into this room has identified, I have identified myself as being a Christian. My life is on the line now, the fact that I'm talking to you. But God showed up to me in a dream and said, I'm supposed to come and lay hands on you and for you to, to, be, to be healed. And he does. And not only does Saul become Paul, but he becomes a champion of the church, a, one of the great first missionaries of Christianity, and you know, a hero of the faith. I think of Nathan Bedford Forrest. You know, say, where are you pulling that guy's name out? Well, I love history and I love studying. And this, this guy just stands out for me because he was such a despicable man, like a used car salesman. He was a slave trader. He fought in the war, was considered pretty much a master of battle, but he was on the wrong side. Killing people. Involved his life in several massacres of real despicable behavior. And had been, if he did not start the Ku Klux Klan, he was certainly involved in its origins. Bad guy, really bad guy. But you know what most people don't know? Is in the last few years of his life, he gave his life to Christ. See, he married the wife of an Episcopal priest. And she prayed for him all his life. And the last few years, he finally succumbed to the love of Christ. He was invited to an African-American church where he repented publicly and reached out racial reconciliation. He was hated for it, and his life was threatened, as you can imagine, in the deep south. 
But the last years of his life, he died with full freedom of having been forgiven because the African Americans rose up in the service and said, we forgave, forgive you. Folks, he's going to be in heaven. But you're never going to read that in any history book. They're actively tearing down his statues all throughout the South. Well, got to do what you got to do. But all I can say is he'll be there. Type B, unbeliever. Somebody we'd never imagined ever was savable. C.S. Lewis, a famous children's author, was once, once an agnostic. Opposed to the church, opposed to Christianity. Got converted because he basically studied Christianity and realized it just does not make sense to reject it. It's too good. And then dozens of actors, athletes, civil leaders, people that were actively opposed to it, they can tell a story after story after story. Type B unbelievers. Type A unbelievers are people who are open to hearing the gospel because they're, they're either considering it or there's been a seed that's been planted and that seed is growing, 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 and, and, and we just happen to come along and just... And I saw that many, many times where I would just say, look, you know, gosh, I gave my life to Jesus? Well, tell me more about him. I'm like, look, dude, I haven't even shared any of the gospel with you yet. But there's already been a, a softening up. There's already been a hunger. That's a type A unbeliever, and they serve, they're everywhere. All they need for us to do, as Paul said, to water, just to be there. And it's amazing. They're just waiting. And a lot of times what we find is that these experiences through type A unbelievers, I remember one time, I mean, I was giving away Cokes, we were doing a servant evangelism type thing, and, and I remember just sitting, being a little embarrassed, being out there on the street, and I'm just thinking, it's right in the middle of Fayetteville, and I'm giving, I've done it here several times too, and just kind of giving out drinks and just kind of, hey, how you doing, you know? Anyway, you just, you just feel a little out there, and I remember just one of these days, I'm just sitting there going, man, I, I just can't wait for this thing to be done, and this car came up, and this, this, there was this young lady inside there. She rolled the window down, and I handed her a Coke, and I said, look, we're just trying to show you the love of Jesus in a real simple way today. Have a Coke on us. And she started, she burst into tears. I was like, whoa, I'm sorry. I, I could have given you Pepsi. What's up? <laughs> and she burst into tears. I'm like, ma'am. And she said, you're not, she says, I said, well, look, you can't back up traffic. I'll tell you, that'll get us in trouble. Would you mind pulling off in here? She pulled off and she shared her story. She said, just five minutes ago, my boyfriend just left me. I'm devastated and I prayed, I was been thinking about suicide, and I prayed, Lord, if you care, would you just show me in some simple way that you love me? And the next corner she comes to is a big dork like me handing her a Coke saying, Jesus loves you. Have a Coke. And she, she gave her life to Christ right there. Type A, unbeliever, just waiting for somebody to take a, a step. I've heard stories like this over and over and over again. See, it's, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, isn't it? So we really got to rely upon who? The Holy Spirit. We have to be working with him. We open our hearts up and say, Lord, let me have eyes to see. He will then begin to show you. He will show you where the needs are. You'll be able to discern the difference by just his leading. You know, most people come to Christ before the age of 25 making youth outreach absolutely critical. And I want us to talk, and I'm going to have him come on up here. Tommy, Tommy Saunders is going to come, and I'm just going to ask him a few questions here this morning because, first of all, I've been wanting uh, Tommy to come and to share with us what's been going on, but I'm just going to use it in the context of our message today. Have a seat, Tommy. Tommy, tell us what you do and who do you primarily minister to. So I'm a... Uh, individual millennials, individuals between the ages of 18 and I mean all the way up really the rest of life because they come to yeah they come to campus and we use with the college students we're out in the community as well so we're meeting people from all age groups but um but yeah college campus. Now we had you at our ATK and you we got a chance to we raise money to help you do some of the things that you're you're doing there on the campuses um and then I know that God has been doing some amazing things and you shared a couple of them you know uh in the first service Tell us, tell us what has been God, God has been doing that way. Some pretty amazing things. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Meredith, if you can put the picture up. Um, 
This guy, I know the picture's kind of small, but this guy on my right, Brian, um, I met him about a year ago out on campus sharing the gospel, and I went up to him and asked him, you know, our world's, it's apparent, it's broken. Is there anything that you could use prayer for? And he was thinking, he told me later that, you know, I, I wish you guys would have just left. Really? But um, he, he, said, he said, that's what I was thinking at that time. He said, well, you, you can pray for my exams or something. And he just, you know, threw something out there. So we prayed for him. Got to share, um, the guy was with me, got to share his testimony with him, and I mean, it immediately clicked. Uh, Brian struggled with addiction to marijuana and pornography, and that's what the guy's testimony was about. And God just used that. We got to share the gospel with him and lead him to Christ. And this guy is now going to spend the rest of his life doing what I'm doing, um, sharing the gospel with students on the college campus. Um, His mom, he shared the gospel with his mom. His mom she already heard the gospel. She was a believer, but she now has assurance, and she's a part of our church. She was in our women's conference this past weekend, and she's serving. She's laboring, and um, yeah, I mean, one of my best friends, you know, in my life right now, I met out sharing the gospel, and I meet a ton of people out sharing the gospel, so that's one, but yeah. You know, now, there's, then there was this other thing that happened that we probably, most of us read in the news where uh, particularly North Carolina universities and NC State in particular there was some really wild stuff going on there, and you guys were right in the middle of that. Yeah, we, we actually were involved with the lawsuit with the university this past May, and we didn't, like, seek that or want to get in a lawsuit. They actually approached me while I was sharing the gospel and told me, you can't do that. You can't share your religious agenda. And their policies were so ambiguous that they pretty much could determine whatever kind of conversation that you had. They could limit what that is that you had. And um. Anyway, we sought legal counsel, and um, we kept sharing the gospel, and they stopped us again. They stopped us multiple times. And the lawyer said, you know, we need to pursue this because this is a lot bigger than NC State. You know, this is the rights of students all over, you know, the, 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 the nation. So um, anyway, uh, we won the case um, against NC State and won back um, the rights that college students should have already had, and that's the right to you know, share their faith, share the gospel. So, and this just wasn't you, a guy who's already graduated, yeah. having the ability to come on the campus, but they, they were restricting believers, student believers, yeah, students, to being able to share their students faith. students in their dorms, students all over the yeah. student center, the whole campus. So, so what was the end result? Well, the, uh, something I was just thinking about, basically by the policy, how, how crazy it was, they could just, they could limit anything. So if you were to come on campus and start, you know, I just saw the Super Bowl, this is what happened. You can't have that kind of conversation if they could choose, you know, and say that. But it was a, with the purpose of limiting, you know, r- religious rights. But because of that, when in the case, yes, yeah, students are able wherever, whenever to, to share their faith So out on campus. So. It's amazing, Tommy, that, you know, that, that amendment right to be able to free speech, which kind of makes sense if they go up that Constitution and you, you would take away something that you guys appealed to to have that freedom. Isn't that right? Now, today, you know, I'm talking about open our hearts to the lost. Tell me, you know, you didn't always have a heart for this because I've known you've been a part of Valley Community Church since you were very, very young. Yeah, since it was Emmanuel. Yeah, since it was Emmanuel Worship Center. And then, so I remember when I first met you, you were not who you are today. Tell me, how did you get there? Well, I just, God put me in the right places uh, to bring me to be doing what I'm doing right now. Um, when I got to state, I was really uh, backsliding in my faith. Um, and God put me around people. Uh, my life was impacted by the people on campus that I'm working with now. And God used that directly uh, to get me involved. Um, so, I, you know, I know personally the impact that it had, and, I, you know, I want, you know, to reach other people because of that. So, yeah, he just put me around a guy that he spoke it and he lived it, and I got to, you know, be under him, watch him. Uh, David and I were just talking about this earlier. Um, I'm an introvert. I am shy, um, but we have got to leave room for the Holy Spirit to work. And, um, you know, if you think you need all the, you know, the skills, the gifts, the abilities to share the gospel, then there, there is no need for the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, God just wants a humble person. That's what you say with Moses. He's the most humble man. So, um, so you just really opened your heart to it. And you're also a part of a church where you said there was a percentage that you used. How many, how many people in the church there in, in Raleigh? you know, are actively sharing the gospel. About, so the, what I, the statistic before that was is about 90% of Christians don't share their faith. They don't initiate the gospel, you know, with other people. 
And um, in our congregation there, I mean, it, it's not just college students. It's uh, singles, you know, uh, couples, families, uh, all the way up to, to elderly. Um, 80% of our congregation is active in sharing their faith. And so yeah, there's kind of a culture of a bunch of people that are sharing the gospel, and you kind of get caught up in it, don't you? Oh, yeah. And because, yeah. I, mean, for the, I mean, nobody likes to feel like they're doing this alone. But when you come together, it really does have that kind of, you know, growing, influencing, cor- courage building. Because I'll tell you, Tommy, I've got to admit, you were the last person that I saw to be doing what you're doing on that campus. Thank now. you. <laughs> and the truth is, to see what you're doing now is just amazing. It's a miracle. And I love, I love to see it, you know, that, that you're involved Thank in you. that. Thank you. Um, so we want to keep praying for you that God is going to use you. And, uh, and then after the service is over, you'd like to get a chance to talk to Tommy. He's going to be here. He's going to be here for the next service as well. And, uh, but we're excited about what you're doing. We want to be a part of it. Thanks for being here today yeah, yeah. and to share your story. Can I, Thank can you. I share two yeah, verses? Yeah, yeah sure. uh, Two verses that really uh, I remember, and they really pushed me out in the gospel um, about it being our identity or who we are as believers is, uh, it's really the passage of 2 Corinthians five seventeen through 21. Mm-hmm. We're new creations. Yes. We're ambassadors of Christ. Yes. And he's using us to reconcile the world back to himself. Us. Yeah. That's, that's who we are. So that's, that's what we do. That's and then uh, Matthew four nineteen says, he says, follow me. So anybody that follows him, is that's a Christian. Mm-hmm. What does he say after that? fish for men. So if you follow him, you fish for men. And um, yeah, it just is convicting, but that, that's what God wants us to do. So yep. while you're doing that, you get a greater, a much greater appreciation. You run into people that have questions that you have, and you know, God uses that to grow you, you know, and really understand what he's given you. So. That's good. Excellent, Tommy. Thank you so much for being here today and sharing the story. Amen. So the last point here, and I want to do this quickly, is step three is we got to begin to reach out. We just got to do it. If we wait to hear, or I'm sorry, if we wait to have a clear passion for souls before we actually start reaching, it may never happen. We got to ask God to do this in us. And yes, there is definitely a growing, uh, once we begin to turn the tide that there is a culture of love for people, and which is the way the church ought to be. The church ought to be, when we walk in, we're overwhelmed by the hunger for righteousness, a hunger for the kingdom, a hunger for how do we reach more people. We want to be able to leave these doors feeling like, you know what, I feel empowered, equipped, and sent out to be salt and light wherever God sends me. That's where we need to go. But I got to tell you, if we wait till we're all feeling that way, it's just never going to happen. We've got to step out in faith, we've got to open our heart up. You know, John, I'm sorry, Jesus said in John chapter 14, 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commands. You know, Jesus didn't command a lot, which is unique. Matthew 5 and 6, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, there was a lot of instruction. But the command that sticks out the most in Scripture is Jesus saying, go make disciples. That is considered the mandate of the church and every Christian's command. And he says, if you love me, you're going to do what I did. If you love me, you're going to share this wonderful, glorious news. Then there's Mark 8.35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, I remember looking at that verse saying, so God wants me to die? Well, not necessarily. We're not all called to be martyrs, and very few of us here in this life will experience that. But what really he's talking on the very first level is, is the death of our selfishness, our death to ourselves, and our desire to control our life and to do what we want to do without considering seeking first the kingdom of God. When we do that, there is always going to be a little bit of death. It's going to be a little painful to think, wow, I'm giving up my own dreams, my hopes, my future, my own, sometimes even my own choice. Let that sink in just for a minute only to find out that God has something even better waiting. You know, kind of reminds me of, the, uh, of sometimes these pot blessings that we have. If you start grabbing the food at the beginning of the table, you miss out on what's waiting for you at the end. And I don't know why they do that. But that's the way it can be sometimes, that we bail out on best 
because we've taken something that's good. God's got something much better waiting for us. And sometimes that means giving up our rights, giving up some things that God can replace and put in our hands. And he says, look, if we give up our life, he says, then you will save it. Then, and again, he's not just talking about eternal life. One of those dual things. What happens in this life and in the one to come. Mark 16, 15, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. We don't pick and choose. We go where God... Now, as a whole church, we're doing that. We're all working together, and we'll have our part. Sometimes you open your, your heart up. I think of the Connors. They opened their heart to... And, and, and who, who all went to Guatemala recently? You guys, raise your hand up. Nicaragua? Okay, yes, you went to Nicaragua. Sorry, we've had some Guatemala trips too. Amen. You guys opened your heart to those people, didn't you? And did they get in there? They changed it, didn't they? And sometimes you just go, man, I don't know if I want to go. And when you first do it, I'll never forget when I went to Moldova, I thought I could die there until I saw the little girl who looked like a little string bean that was doing a little praise dance in a communist building. And, I, and the man leaned over to me, the pastor, and he said, that little girl has worms. And everything she eats, most of it is eaten by them before she's able to process it in her body. I, I just burst into tears. It's like, just tear my heart out. And God will do things like that for his purposes to help us see that we are called to be his hands and feet. Amen? Did we not read what Jesus said and how he will evaluate our lives and our faith? And how are they going to know, folks, unless they've heard? Romans 10, 14, and 15. How can they call on the one whom they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they've not heard? And how can they hear without someone to preach? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Folks, we're the church. And we've already been sent. We, there are no other orders coming. There's no other instruction. There's no other, you know, revelation. There's no other Bible coming. We got it. And until he comes, that's what he's called us to do. So we need to open our heart to it. Don't wait for the thunder. Don't wait for the lightning. Usually it comes in that still, small voice, just like Ezekiel. What are you doing here? Why are you in the cave? Why have you run away from this world? Go back out there. Be salt and light and watch me do miracles. Boy, there's a whole nother sermon on that one, isn't there? Let's stand up this morning. I want to finish with a quick story. When I was a young man, the first time I learned this, and I was, I just was saying, Lord, I want to be about your business. I read these stories in the Bible. I hear other people's testimonies. I'm not the kind of person that, that, this, that this never seems to ever happen to me. If I remember one Saturday morning, I got up and I just prayed. I had my devotional time and I sat on the porch and I said, Lord, just lead me today. I want to just do an experiment. I just said, Lord, lead me. And he says, okay. I heard him speak in that still small voice. He said, go to the river, the Mississippi River. I said, okay. So I rode my bike down there, got down to the river and I'm saying, okay, what next? Nobody down there. And he said, open your eyes, look. And I looked down, and there was one man sitting at a table. I missed him. I wouldn't have seen him because he was so small and kind of blended in with the, the, the background. And he said, go and talk to him. And I thought, oh, no. I hate talking to strangers. Lord, please. He said, no, you ask me. Go talk to him. So I walked over there to him, and I said, hi there. How are you doing today? And he says, not very good. I said, excuse me? He says, yeah, you know. He said, I come down here every day or every however and often he did it. And he goes, you know, my son died about a year ago. And he began, I'm just kind of cutting to the chase here. He said his son's name was David. And that he was a football player, was well-known in the area, and he died in a car accident. And he was depressed, and he had been considering suicide. And I looked at him without, I mean, just utter amazement. I just said, well, my name is David. I love football. And I said, God has a message for you. I said, I am very, very sorry that 
you know, your son was taken. I said, but God wants you to know that he loves you. He sees you. He sees you in your suffering. So much so that he sent me to you today, a stranger, to just tell you this. I said, can I pray for you? And he said, he began to weep, and I prayed for him and led him to Christ right on the spot. I've never ridden my bike as fast as I did home on that day because of what I had just experienced, just because I opened my heart and my mind to it, what God wants to do. And that changed me. It literally did. And folks, how many miracles are waiting for us? You know, the church could double in one year if every single Christian would just make it a goal to reach one person. Just one. Tommy told us 90% of us aren't even sharing the gospel. What if we train, turn that around? Just one. Can we get one? We absolutely can, especially if we ask God to lead us to him. Amen? Let's bow our heads today. Lord, I thank you, God, that you're here. We've asked you this morning to reignite our hearts. Lord, we need that. We need you to come and set a flame to our heart, to fan it into a big flame that we might burn for you, that we might see as you see. Lord, let us not live the rest of our life, God, Lord, without focus. Lord, without considering who we are, what we've been, per why, what is our life in its, in its purpose? Lord, let us see as you see, especially those around us, God, who are ready to hear, to ready, whether we water, whether we plant a seed, or where we harvest that seed, we're all a part of it. Let us be busy, God, about your business. Lord, change us, transform us. Let these words, Lord, stew in us and produce life and focus and action in Jesus' name. If I could have our prayer teams come. If you'd like prayer this morning in reference to this message, please come. Also, if you want to hear about having a personal relationship with Christ today, we'd love to be able to, to tell you more. But if you'll just take a moment to come down after the service is over. Lord, bless us, keep us, make your face shine upon us, teach us, lead us now. In Jesus' name, amen.